Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. We are three DMs talking about our games, helping each other out. It is January of 2022. This is our first recording. I am Jeff Greiner. I am here with Mike Shea. Say hello, Mike. Hello. And Sam Dillon. Say hello, Sam. Hello. And that's us. And that's the intro. And that's what you're going to get here in 2022. <laughs> that's that's the show. We're done. That, that's uh, it for the year. That's, that's it. it. Yeah, All right. Thanks finished. for listening. We'll Thanks talk for listening, to you everybody. So I'm pulling up my timer to make sure to because we're always very very good about sticking to our designated time because mm-hmm. it's very important. Uh, I get to go first. Awesome. So since we last recorded, like I don't know, almost a month and a half ago now, uh, I played twice based off of my notes from the last time we recorded. That's how, how I always remember what. What, what I where we left off because um, all of my notes are bullet points on a, on a sheet of paper so I can see what my bullet points were last time um, last time we chatted I had finished my big campaign that included Dragon Heist and Curse of Straw and then all a bunch of stuff afterwards uh, and then I talked about doing character generation for Torg Eternity um, and then I I lied to Mike um, I know, right? <laughs> Mike is shocked. <laughs> what? Uh, no, I didn't actually lie to Mike. I I thought more about something that I said and realized I was probably wrong. You you were talking about um, I don't even remember what the advice was, but you were talking about we were talking about character creation, and you gave some advice that that applies to particularly crunchy games. And I'm like, well, Torg's not really that crunchy of a game. And I realized as I thought about it afterwards, I'm like, no, Torg is a very crunchy game. It ju- <laughs> it just incorporates interesting like storytelling elements too that makes me think of it incorporating like story game sort of ideas. And so that makes me think, oh, well, story games aren't super crunchy. And so I I had in my head I hadn't associated it with a super crunchy game, but then I realized there are just pages and pages and pages of how to do every little action, and they all have rules, and it's very very crunchy. Um, so so Torg is a very crunchy game. Uh, it's also very cinematic and and story driven though uh, uh, at the same time because all of those things can be true. Um, we played our first torg eternity game with the group because we're gonna we're basically the plan is we're gonna do a bunch of of little short runs and and try out some different things and so my thought was i really love torg uh i want to do a bunch of stuff with torg but i thought we'd do like an adventure usually the event the the published adventures have like five acts or seven acts which you can probably play in three or four sessions and then we would take a break and and play a, a few sessions of i don't know star wars or um whatever right um but we did the first one was just sort of a one shot of hey you need to sneak into France and rescue this woman who is raising up a resistance to the invaders uh, and call, is calling herself the reincarnation of Joan of Arc. We don't actually care if she's actually the reincarnation of Joan of Arc because she's raising a resistance to the bad guys and, and that's all that really matters. So we don't care if she's deluded or not. Let's just buy into this. Uh, it does. It did raise an interesting question, and that's literally like. I, and then I ran 
one session for my kids. Um, uh, that's pretty much all the gaming I've done in the last month and a half. Uh, well, no, that's all the running I've done in the last month and a half. Um, we played a little bit of Gloomhaven with the kids, and um, and one of my players ran our holiday session. Uh, we did uh, Honey Heist. I don't know if you're familiar with Honey mm-hmm. Heist. Sure, yep. So we played some Honey Heist. Honey Heist uh, is a really crunchy RPG. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. There's, what, two stats? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> the 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 stat is uh, you're. It's a spectrum. The stat is a spectrum, and and it runs between bear and criminal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah similar to uh, lasers and feelings. Right. Is it done by the uh, same guy? Is it John Harper? Maybe. I don't know. Because uh, it was one of my one of my players who ran it, and and she had been working on this stuff. Like she had worked up props, and there were, you know, she brought in Nerf guns, and we had to shoot targets of of GI Joe men because it was the Christmas in the mall one, and all the toys had come to life, and so we had to we had to shoot all the GI Joe men that were trying to kill us, and and um, yeah, no, it, no, Grant Grant Howitt made uh, Honey Heist. Honey Heist. So so yeah, we ran one of those, um, but I did have one. I had one question and one observation, and then in case I ran out of time, uh, had extra time, I did ask the uh, the the Twitter sphere for uh, topics to discuss, and I got one thing there. So we'll see where we're at for time. Um, my my one thing to sort of talk a little bit about has to do with Torg. So um, my players are largely D and D players for the most part, and in D and D there is a very sort of loot focused mentality right you you kill a bad guy you take the loot you you get the gold you get the the items or whatever and and then you use them right um torg is not set up that way and i think in a way that that because it's trying to capture this sort of cinematic feel right james bond doesn't like loot the bodies and track every dollar that he gets out of the wallet of the bad guys that he shoots right so Torg actually just has a, a mechanic of, hey, you want to requisition gear from the organization you work for before a mission? Here's how to do it, right? You you want to go to the local coffee shop and buy something? There, there's a role to make to see if you just have the, the money to do that. You don't need to track your, your currency uh, or whatever. But there's a – but I have a group of players that are very loot-minded. And so, hey, we, we killed this cyborg person. Can I strip the cybernetics out of their body and see if I can get them installed in myself is sort of a thing that happened. And I'm like, well, I don't know how we're going to handle that. But sure, let's go ahead and do that. But you're clearly still working from a very loot the bodies, get the get the 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 goods sort of mentality. And I'm, I'm curious what you all think about that Uh and, and how to handle that when you've got a group of people who who have these assumptions about the game. Even when you tell them that those assumptions are wrong about the game, they still act on those assumptions. And then I'll tell you how I handled it. But I'm curious what, what you guys think about doing something like that. Well, you know, I, I have this problem uh, quite often uh, in a slightly different way. So... Um, you know, when I, I play a lot of Castles and Crusades or sort of old old school D&D style games where uh, the goal is not always to fight the monster and defeat it. And, you know, when these games were made or the, the way that they're made is not really meant to be a monster kill fest. It's, it's not meant to uh, go out and every challenge you meet is not necessarily going to be defeatable or winnable. 
And that's a very, uh, you know, third, fourth and fifth edition D&D has a very sort of expected, if I'm meeting this challenge, I can defeat it in some way. The, in, in many respects, that's how those games are set up. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of, even if it's not true of every game, I'm not, I'm not putting things on, on people's own individual tables, but the sort of idea and gestalt about the way that game is played is it's relatively balanced and it's meant to be the case that when you meet a creature, if you do fight it, you're basically going to be able to defeat it. Like mm-hmm. in some way, and that's not really how, for example, Castles and Crusades is set up at all. Um, you you can't expect that you're going to be able to defeat things because you're a lot squishier than than modern D and D games, you know. And uh, death comes quickly, and you know saving throws are harder to make, and you know this, that, and the other. And so those games have a sort of very different kind of focus than what the more modern D and D games have. And so. The way that I have to deal with that is I have to, first of all, tell the players, right? But telling them does is not enough, right? You have to also then show them in game right. that the things that they're doing are not giving them the results that they are are expecting mm-hmm. or that they're wanting and never will, right? Right. And and that's the only I mean, like, so, you know, I, I don't know exactly what your situation is or right. what kind of what happened, but that's that's basically the only way it's ever worked for me is tell them straight out out of game. This game doesn't play that way. And then when they still exhibit those behaviors in game, it has to not give them the desired outcome. Mm-hmm. That's all. Uh, Mac. Matt Colville did an interesting video about RPGs and rewards and the kinds of reward, you know, how to, how, how to understand the kinds of rewards that a game is driving for and that rewards are behavior, right? That rewards drive behavior. And the, you know, he brought up the example of like old school D and D the behavior, the reward was pick up treasure. It really didn't matter about monsters because you were going to get more experience points from picking up treasure than you right. were to, to, to kill monsters. And so it was a loot-based game. And he said, now it isn't a loot-based game anymore. Treasure and magic items aren't mm-hmm. really the drive. The drive is something else. And his 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 kind of way of, of reaching this was, why not just tell them? Right? Like, just say, here is, you know, the, the, here is the reward that you're mm. going to get. And here is the the thing that you're going to do to get it. So the example is like if you're going to run and this is something where I look back at my campaigns that I've run recently and say, wow, I never really did this very well. And I think it hurt the game. Is like I don't think my players ever knew what they did to level up. Right. I think I just basically said, congratulations, you're ninth level. Mm. Right. And they just leveled. They had no idea what caused that. And they didn't really care too much because nobody really complained they got levels enough that they did it but if i instead said you know once you reach the the city of yethrin that's worth you will you know you'll gain a level by finding the city of yethrin you'll you'll gain a level by finishing the trials of oral you'll gain a level by defeating the shardalon dragon if i before they had seen that if i wrote that down and 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 mm-hmm. Colville's point, he says, like do it on a three by five card, right? You know, goal, kill the Shardalon dragon, reward, level to you know, level up, right? Right. That that drives it. So it seems like the different games have different things that they reinforce and different kinds of rewards. And maybe it's not leveling or loot or magic items or whatever. It's something else. It's a story reward, right? Mm-hmm. There's 
my my presumption is there's something like almost every RPG I play has something that the characters gain right. when they when they play, right? And I think that the idea of just making it crystal clear, you know, what it is. And yeah, uh, Scipio here brings up that which light has explicit milestones. Will you, will I reveal them? And I'm going to bring that up when I talk about my game because I think the answer is yes. The hard part is like, when do you, can you, how do you reveal them if the characters don't even know the thing? Well, I was going to say that's tricky because that can get spoilery if you reveal that's them right. clearly. But it can get spoilery, but it's also an indication that things aren't real clear if they have no idea how they should be progressing. It also feels right. it does does that enhance a feeling if you get too specific like that does that enhance a feeling of railroadiness for the players Well so Colville brings that up right okay. and he says that the the argument is it does he said like look I only do it when they grab on I don't put them out there ahead of time like he said that in some circumstances one of his players would say like ooh that that castle over there looks really good and he would say okay explore the castle and then reward is, you know, find the lost staff of Amanthier, okay. right? And they okay. go, what the hell's the staff of Amanthier? And he's like, I don't know. And they're like, wow. But he, he drove it from their drive. Now, right? now here's, In this case, they, here's, brought the, they brought the quest to him. Like, I, there's a lot there that you're talking about that I like. And Sam, what you talked about is basically, it's basically what I did. So, so they stripped a bunch of cybernetics and wanted to, to get it implanted in themselves. Okay, fine. Uh, you have access to this perk when you have enough experience that you could have the cybernetics installed, which they could have had access to anyway. So pulling the, the cybernetics out of that creature didn't actually give them access to it. They, they could have just spent the experience points and gotten that thing anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's basically the same thing. Now, the, the part of where, what you're saying, Mike, and and what you're, you're citing from Matt Colville, where I think – like I think there's a lot there that's right, and yet my experience says that it's not. Mm -hmm. Because where does it fall down? I have been using milestone leveling for a very, very back into about halfway yeah. through fourth edition, right? And right, I've been sure. Me too. in many cases very explicit, like, hey, when you accomplish this thing, you'll you'll gain your level, right? You you've you've hit this story milestone, you'll gain your level, whatever. That has not changed player behavior in terms mm -hmm. of we're going to defeat every monster and we're going to loot everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and I don't, I, maybe that's the nature of D and D is so combat focused. They just want to fight everything and win. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, um, because regardless of, of whether or not they're going to get the reward for fighting everything and winning, uh, which they're not, there's no reward for it. Um, mm -hmm. they still want to fight everything in you. Let me interrupt you then and say, even if they want to fight everything. Mm -hmm. So the way around that is you have to put an objective in front of them mm -hmm. that requires them to not kill something. Right. Sure. So if there's a time constraint, they can't stop at every teeny tiny combat and waste a crap ton of time fighting these inconsequential items if they have to get somewhere yeah. you, in a certain you, time. But you're talking well, about yeah. solving a problem. I'm not right. stating it as a problem. I'm just saying yeah. that that I've been using this method of mm -hmm. I'm rewarding the story and it hasn't it, and I haven't noticed a change in behavior. I don't care. The my everybody's right. having fun. <laughs> so Right. But what I what I'm saying is is you cuz you asked about 
what, how do you respond? And I'm saying if you want to change their behavior, you have to change the way that the game responds to their activation, right? To their activity, right? It's, it's not about, I'm not saying anything's right or wrong. Like if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Like that's not a problem. But what I'm saying is if a game was going in a way that someone in the audience didn't, like they couldn't figure out how to get their, their players to play the game a different way. And they wanted to see how it would work playing it a different way. That's the way to do it. You you tell them you want it to work a different way. And then when they still continue to have the same behaviors, you change the way that the game world responds to their act sure. PC actions, right? They they don't get they no longer are able to behave the way that they were because it just is not giving them the rewards they used to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Scipio in the chat is pointing out that Colville's idea that that Mike was talking about is was uh, broader and largely talking about using uh, about giving having codified rewards for player driven goals is that right, right Mike? I well, how how dare Scipio to uh, contradict me? Of course, how dare he? How dare he? Um, no, but he's right. <laughs> he's and and even worse, even worse, he's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, right. Colville's Colville's idea was that like you know there's lots of goals that can come up, and the players will bring those goals, but you can still sort of codify them. And I, I right. used to do a better job of this in 4E and then my mm. loosey goosey style that I run now, I kind of lose track of this sort of stuff. So I, I, so, yeah. I still do. I, in my last campaign, I mean, obviously I was playing, there was a story arc, right? And so there were milestones that were not player driven necessarily. They were world driven, whatever, uh, you know, milestone defeat Strahd. Right. Although certainly right. by the time they did it, that was pretty player driven too. They hated that guy and they wanted to see him yeah, right. dead. Right. Um, you know. So so. But I also and I also like I've, I've had it two of my relatively recent campaigns, one here and and uh, one in Raleigh where I incorporated the various or I created my own vestiges of divergence from the original Green Ronin Taldori book. And then there were more of them, I think, in the Wild Wild Mount book that came out as well. Um, and I use that as an explicit reward for achieving player-driven goals, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because that's how they that's how those items sort of level up. So, anyway, good conversation. Um, some other time we'll have to talk about how um, I don't know. I find Gloomhaven kind of meh, but ah, oh, I just <laughs> got the new the new one the the quick play Gloomhaven quick play uh, box the lion. Jaws of the Heart. Lion. Jaws of the Lion. Yeah, that's, Jaws that's, Lion? Is that what it's called. Yeah, that's what we've been playing. Okay. Well, I'm I'm sad to hear that. I mean, I've played Gloomhaven before, and I like it, so right. I'm I'm hoping it'll be the same. But yeah, my wife and I've been no. trying to find find. Part, part, part and I I have issues with Gloomhaven. Part of it is that maybe that I'm playing with with children who are very detail oriented and want to argue about everything, mm. um, and that the game is built with all these algorithms about how the the creatures behave and the mm-hmm. how the objectives are achieved and whatever to the point that it feels like it was clearly supposed to be a video game but they put a board game out instead because <laughs> mm. that's all a bunch of stuff that like that's how video game characters move. yeah there's no dm right? i mean right. that ai is there because you're so, all right you're, you're but, fighting the monsters but, together. but it's an ai it's an it's a paper and pencil ai and, that's correct and, yeah uh yeah. that's the that's the part that we will sometimes kind, kind, bicker really over AI. and whatever but it's not learning <laughs> there's no, there's no 
stochastic element to it. So, so anyway, if folks wanted to support the show uh, and make sure that Behind the DM Screen keeps happening so you can hear more rants from, from folks about uh, Woody Allen and what he has to do with D&D, uh, you can support us by going to patreon.com slash the tome show and, you know, throw us a, a dollar uh, a month or so and, and see uh, see your name in lights. I, I occasionally try to shout out the, the wonderful patrons that we have. And that's how I pay the bills as well, because when possible, I'm trying to avoid having sponsors. I find it to be onerous. So you're all the sponsors. Thank you Great. for doing that. I'm, I'm with you on that idea. Anyway, uh, Mike. Yo, tell us about your games. Oh, sweet relief. I am done with Frost Maiden on both my campaigns. And now uh, I am running two different campaigns. I am running a Sunday Blades in the Dark campaign, short, a short jaunt in the blade in using Blades in the Dark. Uh, my my Sunday group uh, and I all kind of agreed. I didn't have to push him too hard to try out some other independent RPGs. And the two that are on the list, it was Blades in the Dark was the first one because I had heard so much about it and wanted to try. Yeah, I've heard good things. Yeah. Oh. I don't, I don't dig it as much as everybody else digs it. I okay. Think, for for a couple of reasons. One is I found it to be very mechanically heavy. I I, I there's so many little tweaky bits here and there for how things operate downtime has its own set of rules and its own weird sort of styles mm-hmm. and character creation and it's just a lot going on it's not honey heist. A, a lot of a lot of mini systems a lot of game. mini systems yeah and i just i can't okay. get lost the good news is my players love it and they're totally well and it's so 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 i i used this metaphor before that the one of the things they say in the book is that you should that players should play their characters like they're driving a stolen car and what I add on to that is the DM feels like, or the GM feels like they're in the trunk of that car getting banged around <laughs> while it's riding around the road. Because like, boy, a game just goes and you're just going with it. And it's hard for me to kind of know what I should be kind of prepping ahead of time. And they're very, very like, you don't prep as much as you oughta, right? You don't prep nearly as much as you think, but it's like, yeah, but if not, it's just going to be boring, stereotypical cliche shit because I'm going to make it up on the spot. So why don't I, if I can spend a little bit of time, like I'm not talking about drawing big ass maps of worlds and stuff, but like having an idea about what some locations mm. might be like, doesn't seem like a bad idea. So I'm, I'm figuring that out, but I've got a whole show that I do every week where I talk about. So that, that that's a, that's a, f- it's a fantasy sort of dark. It, it, yeah, sort of it thing, is a, right? it is uh, like a Victorian era fantasy, dark fantasy world, right? Okay. Again, um, Hey, look, we went from one game with no sun to another game with no sun. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, but it's, so the, my part, the interesting thing is the fantasy elements are really cool, but the book tends not to exemplify those on the actual, during the actual gameplay, you know? So it's a lot of like fat coal factories. Like one of the areas is like, I'm like a coal factory. Like you're harvesting actual electroplasm from ghosts and demon, giant demon whales. How about we put factories for that? <laughs> right. So there's, there's, there's kind of, it's, it's interesting, Right. Um, but it's fun and we're probably going to play four or five sessions of it. And then we're going to move on to a different game. And the next one's going to be Numenera. And I'm very eager and excited to play Numenera, but I'm, I have, I have played Numenera. I think it's actually my favorite mechanics. I think my favorite RPG. You know what game I want you to play and I want to hear your take on Mm. is Knights Black Agents. I have played Knights Black Agents. Yeah. Uh, I have not run it. I like the style a lot because it's gumshoe and gumshoe is really cool. And I, and I dig gumshoe a lot. I, I, I think I like gumshoe more than I like, uh, blades, for example. 
Um, I love the philosophy of Blades and like as a as a PB as a Powered by the Apocalypse style fate style game. It's got all the right philosophies about like how to break our brains away from the kind of GMing that we might get used to if we played like you know real I don't know mechanics third edition fourth edition kind of D and D games. So wait um, wait I don't want us to mislead people. It's not really a Powered by the Apocalypse. No, it is not. But it's that it's, it's, it's it has that, its own it has its own yeah, engine its own, that's called Forged in the Dark. There's actually right. several games that yes. use that same system, but yes. it is very similar. So I understand what you're saying, but yeah, I don't want to mislead it the audience. Has, it's yeah. like the, if you read like the DM section. The DM section reads like a PBDA, you know, PBTA DM section. It's very similar. There's a lot of same like philosophies. The same yeah. philosophies. Yeah. The mechanics are completely different and way heavier, right? Like way heavier than a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Uh, but Numenera I've played. Numenera I think is my favorite RPG system, but I will I will be able to tell you for sure uh, after I play probably a longer campaign. I'm thinking like six to eight sessions of Numenera, but we'll see. Uh, my only stressor there is figuring out which one of the many adventures that I've been collecting over the years am I going to run. Uh, I think I've narrowed it down to two, and, and we're going to figure that out. But the other sweet relief is I have started with my Wednesday group, uh, Wild, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, and I totally adore it. I mm -hmm. had my first session, my session zero last night. The characters, my 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 players came up with these just outstanding characters mm -hmm. right off the bat. Like the we grabbed onto the humor of it right away. Yep. And the uh, they they immediately said that they're all part of a group, uh, a support group. All the players are part of a support group called the Witchlight. Uh, the I can't remember what the T stands for. The the Witchlight. Uh, uh, damn, it's in my notes. The the Witchlight T something. Uh, uh, fellowship, right? WTF. The, the WTF, sure. Yeah, and and the the fun bit is like in there they've had all of these meeting minutes and stuff like that, and that they've been keeping for their for their you know over the years while they've been having their support group, and they always argue about what the T stands for, right? Yeah, ticket lists, everybody, and so that's been a lot of fun. And then they all had like what they lost, and my my wife my wife said she's lost her sense of time, so she's late to stuff all the time, and even like when she, <laughs> as hard as she works to like have a clock or use sundials or come up with your know, candles, every just something always goes wrong and she's late anyway. And where this manifested worse was when she and the other members of the WTF had planned to go to the carnival eight years ago, she got there two weeks late and the, and the carnival had already come and gone. And they're like, Oh my God, we have to wait another eight years. Right. So it was this wonderful, like sort of like inner party character thing that happened that, where the game hadn't even started yet. Right. right. And then we played in the game. And I tell you that the, the thing that surprised me was because of the style of the adventure, like the style and the theme changed how I'm DMing it. Mm -hmm. And it changed how the players are relating to it in a hugely fundamental way than like a traditional okay. D&D adventure, or certainly than Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, right? So, like, the idea of, like, one of the players who's, you know, my, my, he's my, a, a good friend, and he's very funny, and a lot of his humor comes from cynicism, made, like, an, a role-playing cynical kind of comment, and the ticket booth guy's like, oh, you're going to want to leave that cynicism outside. In fact, we have a box. You could go put your cynicism in right over there. Just make sure to drop all your cynicism off of the box on your way into the thing. And he's like, I go over, and I put my hand in and I wave my hand in front of the box and close it again. And he's like, okay, good. Right. And so <laughs> the, the characters, he's going to, he's going to get along really well with Faco. 
I know, right? And so (laughs) it was so, it was so great. And one of the things that I added to it, which I really liked, I got this from somebody on Reddit and, and, and it it worked really well. It's it's a problem that you get a box with all the tickets in it ready to go. But in my case, it's great because it's like, here's this old box that has the letters WTF on it. They're like, oh my God, somebody knows about our, our, our support group. And it had tickets, but then there was also a bunch of kids that didn't have any tickets. And they, they said like, well, you can give your tickets to them. And instead you can do the deal with the goblin, uh, to earn your own ticket. Cause there's this whole section about how you can earn a ticket by making an agreement with the goblin and it's or every, with, is it, yeah, it's a goblin and it's stuff like you have to care for this pumpkin the whole night, right? Like it's, you have to care for it. Like it's a delicate egg the whole night, or you can wear this halo of flowers, but you have to water it every hour. Right. And, and it's just. And and the players were all like, yeah, those are great. And many of them took it. My wife did not. She's like, no, I'll buy a ticket. Like, I'm not. not <laughs> it was like, you have to dance every time someone says your name. She's like, nope, not dancing. I'll buy a two silver. I'll buy a ticket. But I think everybody else took their took their thing. And like one of them was like, you have to continually talk about your love of unicorns. And my wife's like, why did I get that one? And the goblin's like, because I know how much you like unicorns. That's <laughs> right. And so it was and the, the urchins were great. So like, you know, we almost, we were dancing right on the edge of our lines and veils. Cause right. I think like we said, like no violence, you're not allowed to commit violence to children as a line. And the veil was like violence towards children were veiling. Right. And, <laughs> and then like one of the characters is a, is a, a herringon who's like a goth herringon. And he's like hardcore. He's a, I think he's a rogue. And he's just like a hardcore herringon. And he's like, I hate like when people treat me like I'm a bunny, right? Like I'm not a bunny. And, and, and like the, all these kids come up and this one kid, like with like wet eyes comes up and he comes up to the herringon and the herringon's like looking at him. And he like with a quivering hand takes out a carrot and holds it. Towards <laughs> it. And, and he goes, I whip out my rapier and cut that carrot in half before he can even see. And so he like slices the carrot and the kid's like, ah, and like runs off with the carrot, right? And disappears. And he sliced it. This like this, this like diagonal slice, which was important. And then later they're at the ticket booth and they meet the kids again and the kids there. And he's like, looking at the Harangon and the Harangon walks over and he's like, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll eat your carrot if you want me to. And the kid like takes out the carrot, which had been sliced so that it's got like a sharp point mm-hmm. and the kid like reaches towards it. He goes, I take the carrot. He goes, he pulls out every hand, stabs you in the belly. And he says, F you rabbit. And then like, runs <laughs> and, and he's like, man, that little jerk. Right. And so, so that kid is now known as carrot. And like, <laughs> one of the, so the, one of the other player, one of the other characters is pretty hardcore, had a ticket. And he's like, I just go over to the other group of kids and I'm like, only the strong could have this ticket and like throws it. And I said, it turns into this like melee that's like out of a peanuts cartoon with like feet <laughs> and fists and a lot of dust because like we're veiling the violence, right. right? And then it's like, and then they come to and here comes this girl and she's got like red hair and pigtails like Wendy, you know, like 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 Wendy from Wendy's and. She's got like a, a black eye and she's got the ticket and she smiles and she's got blood on the inside of her mouth. <laughs> like, Jesus, like what the hell did she do? When she by with her ticket? And then the other kid comes up and he's holding like a big rag to his head and it's soaked with blood. <laughs> it's like, I think she got a piece of my ear. Right. And so he's known as ear. So it's just this, you know, and like they hadn't even gotten into carnival yet. And I'm having such a great time. Yeah. Right. Like, 
I, I, I don't know if you if you caught my uh, one of the th- my summary of Witchlight from from our review and and whatever is I play tested this adventure. We played the first right. chapter and we played the last chapter, and that play test was probably the most fun I've ever had with this group of players. Yeah, uh, in the last you know two years or whatever. Yeah, uh, and, and, and it ended in a TPK. We've in, <laughs> we ended in a TPK, and everybody walked away with, "Oh my gosh, I can't wait for that to come out." Yeah, I mean, we had so, so much fun with it. I bought the platinum box from Beetle and Grimm. I'm waiting oh, nice. on now. So, yeah. So, like, one of the things that occurred to me, and and this has probably has a bit of recency bias to it, right? But like, I think I had more fun in our session zero than all of the sessions of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Right. Like, I think that was the most fun I had. And we only played for about an hour because we did about two hours of character creation. And I think I had more fun with that hour. And and I think it was because of the theme. I think it was like being able to describe things that are beautiful and being able to describe things that are bright and like having the carnival come out of the hole in the sky and having which, you know, Mr. Witch pop out. Of, it was just it was fun. It was great. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm adoring it. The one thing I'm adding to it, which I want to talk to you guys about and get maybe get some thoughts is uh, and I mentioned I did an hour long uh, session zero video on on the Sly Flourish YouTube channel where I talked but about. But nobody too. watches that, so it's fine. Go ahead. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, they one of the things I wanted to say, and I, I brought it up with my players, and they said, "Yeah, that makes sense." Is I I'm not crazy about the idea that like combat is is not exactly optional, but like you can get through the whole adventure without having a single battle, right? In theory. And in, th- in theory, and it, and I was worried, and I've heard people talk about, well, does that mean that, like, when you do get into a fight, you feel like you failed? Because it's like, well, we knew there was another option for this. And I'm also like, that's also a third of the game, right? Like, you know, the three pillars are there. So I said, well, is there a, is there a way that I can kind of add that in for fun? And what I realized that I wanted to do, which, I, which I'm very excited about, but I haven't yet gotten into the details, is, and, and this is full of spoilers, right? That, that, um... Uh, what's her name? The the Fey princess, the Fey lord, the Fey lady. Zabilna. Zabilna. Yeah, that Zabilna. Zabilna's one of the things she does when she's normally operating is she ensures that the Fey wild and the domains of dread don't collide. Right? She's keeping these worlds at bay, and by being captured, if you imagine spiral galaxies, one of them being Prismere and the Fey wild, and one of them being the various domains of dread. When she's captured, these two domains are crashing into one another. And as they do, what I'm referring to as dreadful incursions are occurring in both the Witchlight Carnival and in and Prismere, where like a, a realm will open up and you will see one of the domains of dread and something might come through. And now there's these creatures that are way outside of, of what you would expect in Prismere and worlds that are way outside of Prismere right. that are caused by these dreadful incursions that are like, you, you, you're sure as shit, no, you're going to fight those, right? Like if, if 12 zombies come pouring through a hole from the zombie apocalypse world, you know, you don't have to like, oh, how, we should have been able to talk our way through that. No, they're freaking zombies, right? So it, for me, it's like, I think it's a fun way. And the angle that's going to take place is one of the dread lords, one of the dark lords is going to see that this is happening and realize this could be an escape from the domain of dread. This could be, you know, that whoever the dread lords are or the, whatever the, there's the the two lords. layers, right? The dark lord, there's the dark, the dark lords and the, the dark powers. Those are the yeah, so the dark power, this is a way to get out from underneath a dark power. Right. Right. And normally they can't, but because of this, 
this collision, they might have an opportunity. And I don't know which one of the Dark Lords it's going to be, but at some point during this campaign, I'm hoping one of the Dark Lords is going to say, holy cow, I might be able to get out of here. And now you've got this whole other perpendicular storyline smashing into the rest of it that, A, lets me use the hell out of my Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which I want to use, and gives me an opportunity to drop a lot of fun combat in. Well, Whenever so I, I feel like it's a good time for it, right? I, I have two thoughts. One, yeah. um, that whole idea sounds sounds like super wicked awesome. Uh, it actually it reminds me a little bit of, um, I guess this is a little spoilery, spoilery for later books in the Dresden Files. Um, when you learn mm-hmm. more about the the wind, you know they they deal a lot with the, with the 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 fairy courts in the Dresden Files. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, and and at one point. Um, later in the series, you learn that the Winter Court is not evil. They're just grizzled and and more militant and whatever because they are the, the bulwark between reality and what is basically their version of the Far Realm, all the aberrations uh, from outside of reality invading and, and destroying everything. And so they're, they've been fighting this constant war for millennia and that's left them the way they are. That's why the Winter Court is cold and uh, and and emotionless and whatever, right? And so there's right. a little bit of that 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 uh, Zabilna is that in mm-hmm. your version with the the well the but shadow. We know film. who Zabilna really is. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she might have responsibilities outside right. of her fairy. Well, and it's it's the it's the right? exact same it, it, that and that's not a completely novel concept anyway because that's basically the story of of the devils, right? The devils of hell and D and D. Are, yeah, are not all horrible because they're keeping the yeah they're keeping the right. demons from overrunning everything right right uh, and so and and so yeah that whole concept seems really kind of wicked cool to me and I really enjoy it. Um, the, on my other point though is playing the parts that I played, the players didn't feel like when combat broke out that it was a failure, right? Okay, they didn't. I've, I've had I've had other friends of mine who have run it who said that they did. Okay, so so and and maybe and I can see where that could come. And, and maybe it's because I didn't. I mean, I didn't explicitly sell it as you can do this whole thing without combat. I just hey, let's right. play this thing. And when they wanted to fight a thing, they fought a thing. And when they wanted to find mm-hmm. other alternatives, there were other alternatives. And it was abundantly clear sure. that there were lots of yeah. non-combat alternatives, but that they weren't necessary. Right. Um, so right. so that yeah, wasn't and, my and the, ni- the nice thing about the incursions is like it's another big dial I can turn. I can drop in as many or as few as I want. If sure. they find they have lots of combat anyway and they don't really need a lot of these, they won't face a lot of them. Yep. If they uh, if, if they really are like talking their way through everything, you know, and, and I feel like they're itching to fight something, they can turn a corner and see an ancient dead tree and the tree rips open and – you know, one of those weird Chinese vampire things comes out. I mean, honestly, the way I ran things, uh, my players talked their way through a good chunk of Curse of Strahd. Uh, and, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so, so right. you know, that's that's fine. Um, that's a fun way to play. Uh, that's honestly, uh, I am a big fan of sessions with no combat where they role play their way through everything and whatever because that's <laughs> that's fun DMing for me. It like, is. I agree with you. There's the, also times the, where it's nice to have combat so you can take a break. Combat is fun, but but <laughs> I can, it gives not, me an hour to think. I'm not great at the strategizing, and honestly, sure. combat becomes a little repetitive to me in a lot of times. Yeah. I would much rather role play for six hours than get into a big fight. But I also yeah. know that that is a hallmark of D and D, so I try to have you know a combat in every session. Well, I mean, that's yeah, that's right. I, I yeah, I go, I go, I go, I go back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So that's my game. I'm very excited. 
Sam, did you have thoughts before I uh, transition? I mean, I don't. I, I have. I have neither read nor played Witchlight, so I don't have a ton of thoughts. I I do agree with both of you in terms of you know it's it's nice to occasionally have a session without combat. You know, my D and D brief game went several sessions without combat at a time, right? Um, so I'm I'm quite used to that sort of ebb and flow of that. But then when they had combat, it was a big deal usually when they were you know when that was happening, um, and that's okay. I mean. You know, games go at different paces, and some some games have combat every session, and some don't. Like it's not that's a. I don't think it's going to change, but I think the the idea of uh, the, P, the the PCs in which like thinking, oh no, we failed at something. If they end up getting in a combat, I think the easiest way to get rid of that is just tell them out of out of game. No, it doesn't mean yeah, failure. You wouldn't have, it's you just, wouldn't yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, it's not. It's it's really not that. Except don't feel that way. Yeah. They are that way, right? right. The, rea- yeah. <laughs> the reality is every yeah. every encounter does have a way to be able to get around it. You just might. Right. Yeah. Some of them are pretty hard. Some yeah, of but, some but of them are, are pretty niche. Yeah, right. right. It's not a failure if they actually no. do the comp. Right. No. And that's what I'm addressing is don't feel like. Right. You know, the fact of the matter is the choice includes combat. Yes, you can get around it, but also you can have combat. Honestly, I'm more worried about the idea of what if they do go through the game with almost no combat? They've spent all this time leveling up and gaining combat powers. And doesn't that feel like a letdown that you got all these combat powers and doing nothing with it? You know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I just I'm just excited. But I'm also excited because I want to it gives me a chance to explore many of the worlds in the domain of dread. Yeah. Even if it's one encounter, if it's just a portal and they can see the domain of dread and they can see some craziness going on there and they can fight an interesting monster that came from that right. place it, and then they all get a taste of it. It's know? also interesting. I, I find it very interesting that Wizards is is playing around with trying to come up with adventures that aren't necessarily just giant combat slogs as well. Uh, you know, the, the which light, obviously they, they intended for, well, you can play this more easily with young audiences and that's mm-hmm. part of why it's, it's not combat dependent and whatever. Uh, I would argue that Strixhaven is interestingly mm-hmm. like them playing with those ideas as well. Like there are certainly parts of Strixhaven that, that, the expected solution is combat, right? Yeah, but there's also large chunks of the story that have nothing to do with combat, and there's some parts that you could or you couldn't, you know. Uh, so yeah. it, it has an interesting mix of of all three. Yeah, this is something Wizards has done done really well. Is over the course, I don't know how many hardcover adventures they have now, but it's like twelve or fourteen or something of them, right? And with every one of them, they they don't they don't just try to stick to a formula that worked and just do that all the time. They experiment with every one of them. And and I think which, you know, in which many is, ways, right? Yes. Like even in production, right. even in their production plans, they experiment. And sometimes they're not great, right? And sometimes they're kind of interesting. Like 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 Dungeon of the Mad Mage is very different from every other one, right? It's like let's do a twenty six level mega dungeon, right? And so and I, and I I kind of like that. And it means that if you look at the library of adventures, you can kind of see. How like you know? Look at Storm King's Thunder compared to Waterdeep Dragon Heist, right? They're both hardcover adventures, but the scope and scale of the two of those are couldn't be more far away from one another. Yeah, it, and I and I kind of like that. 
you know, I, even I, though there I've, have been duds. I've been saying for since since they first started publishing books, and you could tell that they, especially when they were publishing it, and you could tell it was them sort of experimenting yeah. with things, as opposed to studios that they had hired, like they did at the right. beginning. Yeah, uh, that they were clearly experimenting with things, and I like the fact that they're trying new things and trying to see what works and what doesn't. Sometimes I feel like they're experimenting to see what works and what doesn't. And then they abandon the experiment before and they we're perfected paying, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other one is like, we're paying $50 for their experiment. Well, and that's, and, uh, and, and, and that's fine, but that's fine. But the whole point of an experiment is you learn from it and you grow and do it better next time. And so often I see them like, Oh, you're, you're trying to do this interesting sort of sandboxy thing. And some of it works and some of it doesn't. Right. And then the next two or three books, they'll, they've clearly like just abandoned the idea. And it's like, well, then what was the point of the experiment? <laughs> you didn't I learn. Mean, I, would, I, I look, cause I, I, I think that which light, I think I went from my least favorite to my most favorite hardcover adventure between Frostmaid and Witchlight. I think I oh. you know if somebody were to argue with me about Witchlight versus Curse of Strahd, I yeah. I I don't I think I'd say it's it's your preference, but having read a good deal of Witchlight and knowing starting to run it and you know I won't know until I finish it and I'm like, "Oh wow, yeah, I was wrong. This has got it's chock full of problems." But you know, you, you I'm know, not finding problems in this one like I was finding problems in Descent into Avernus or Rhyme of the Frostmaid. You you know what Witchlight has that that Curse of Strahd doesn't have in my opinion. Mm. A, a decently satisfying ending. I don't know. I mean, I think it, it's a good, <laughs> good question. You know, we'll see. It looks like Curse of Strahd is, is a great adventure, but ultimately at the end of it, you're lucky if you're back to where you were at the beginning. Oh yeah. I guess you know, like every time I, it's kind of, it's kind of a letdown. Yeah. I don't right? know. I, I yeah, then maybe it's because like I was playing I six Ravenloft forever and well, I've right. run that, I've and, run and that if you're, story so if you're many going times. In, if you're going in expecting that it's a horror movie and at the end of a horror movie you just want to survive and, and get out, yeah. that that's fine. But that's usually, not that's not really the expectation like for nice D&D. Blue sky <laughs> and the parting of the mists Although, and everything looks good. I think and I they told, like had the happiness and then they brought joy and then they don't realize that when they leave it, it just goes back. right back. I, yeah, and I don't uh, – I think I told you last time we we chatted in December that when my campaign ended, the finale, the last scene of the campaign was okay. You've you've retrapped the dark powers into the amber uh, sarcophagi, and the whole amber temple starts to fade away and go back to Barovia. And the last scene you see is the mist rolling in from outside, and there's Strahd reformed, smiling at you, and yeah. then disappears, and you go plop into the ocean. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So so I guess they, so you gave it a. Lame ending is what you're saying. No, well, no, 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 because they had that this big epic like we've captured the the dark powers and 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 saved the world ending before. Right. That. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was still satisfying. But anyway, uh, I think we are pretty close to the end of your 15 minutes. So why don't we yeah. a transition? <laughs> yeah. Please. Uh, I do want to let people know if you want to chat with us, the uh, I am on Twitter as uh, as Squatch S Q U A C H. The show is on Twitter, the tome, as the Tome Show. Uh, Mike is at Sly Flourish. Sam is at DM Samuel. And you can also chat with our awesome Tome Show family little community on Discord. Uh, there is a, a permanent link to our Discord on the Tome Show's Twitter account. Or, you know, email the Tome Show at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook or become a patron over at Patreon and, and just ask and we will happily share links with you. Uh, Mike, not Mike, Yo. Sam. Uh, I get to go again? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Sam, tell us, I have, 
the, my my script last month was so short that I just wrote this year this month's script uh, on the bottom of it. So I keep looking at the wrong one. Uh, Sam. Well, part- Part of my time might sound like Mike because I'm going to do a Rhyme of the Frost Maiden grievances. Excellent. Yeah! 15 minutes <laughs> on the clock. Tell us about your, why Frost Maiden sucks. Well, no, I, that's not that's not the position I'm coming from. But uh, so I will tell you about <laughs> what a letdown. I'm still I know. Sorry. <laughs> I got Mike all excited. I was so but... excited to hear your grievances. <laughs> Well, I'm going to tell you my grievances, but they're not the reason why rhyme sucks. They're just grievances. There's, anyway. Oh, so there's other reasons rhyme sucks. Okay. Yeah, right. Mine. <laughs> my reasons are the one reasons that it sucks. Anyway, These are just grievances. I'd like to reclaim my time. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm still also running my fifth edition Village of Hamlet game, by the way, with my teenage players. And they are now in the basement of the uh, moat house. And um, they got their butts handed to them a couple of times. And they, cause they made a couple of, uh, I won't say, uh, I won't say wrong choices, but they made a couple of bad choices for the position they were in. They, they sort of overestimated their resources and ability to handle something. And they let themselves get trapped in a hallway with enemies on both ends and had no way out other than uh, to fight. Um, but it's been a ton of fun. And I recommend to everybody that if you ever get a chance just to play with young players who have not played before, do it. Even if you only do it once, it's really, really fun to deal with their sort of mindset and their their application of their brain onto the D&D game is just fantastic. Like, it's just, it's just fun. It's very different from adult players. So if you ever have a chance, just do it at least once. Okay, so that's all I'm going to say about that. That's an ongoing game. We only play about once a month because when they're in school and whatnot, there's not a lot of time that overlaps that we can actually play because they do a lot of extracurricular activities and volunteering and stuff. So it's not even the case that their weekends are always free. So so that game meets very rarely. Um, so it's a pretty, pretty slow-moving game. Um, and then secondly, I want to say before I get to uh, the Rhyme of the – actually, let me do the Rhyme of the Frostmaiden stuff first um and then i'll get to the the last thing i want to say so this is my uh, sam dylan airing grievances against ryman the frost maiden nowhere near as bad as as mike's grievances just some things that mike asked me if i would when i'm getting close to the end and i am close to the end my party's in the caves of hunger right now uh we took a hiatus for the holiday and we're gonna start back up again this sunday and um they're in Caves of Hunger. The, I've probably got four or five more sessions of the game, and then I'll be done with it, uh, maybe, if even that. They've gotten their butts handed to them a couple of times, too, in the caves, because uh, when they got there, they're only seventh level. So um, they're they're having uh, some trouble. But uh, but so so let me tell you, the, 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 I don't have ten. There's only seven items on my list. And these are the things that— But you made a uh, list. I made a list, right? Because Mike, Mike asked me. He said if okay. if I he would he would like it if because I rebutted like out of his ten things I rebutted all but three of them. I agreed with three of them and I rebutted the other seven. Um, and and yeah, so no I just no one's perfect. Uh, right, right. I know, I know, and I know, I know you're not perfect. Uh, and so I want, <laughs> I, I want to give my seven, and uh, and I'm sure Mike will probably agree with all of these. And I know he's going to agree with the first one because the first one is uh, the Frost Maiden's stats. Her stat block is. I started the show with that, didn't I? Yeah, it is not that well. <laughs> that might have been pre pre show. Pre show. I started the pre show with my. Um, her stats aren't great. Uh. The, and 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 the problem with it is there's not a lot of guidance on 
how to make her different. It, there's guidance that says, oh, if this if this part doesn't happen here, have her show up at X other location. But they don't give guidance on, well, by the time your party gets to that other location, they're going to be a vastly different level probably than they were at the first intended location. So here's how to fix this up, so to speak. Um, and they're just they're just not great. I think they they were trying something there, and they they used a sort of triple stat thing because she's got three forms. Um, and they statted it to the sort of standard CRs that they set those three forms at, but it it just doesn't work. It doesn't work well enough to to make it something that I applaud. So, rather so hopefully hopefully they learn from that experiment and they do it better later. Right, because the thing is uh, that the three the three forms idea is a great idea. It's a it's a really cool like scene that it can produce, but the stat blocks that go with it are oh. are not that great. It They're, feels a little they, J, JRPG to me. It's it's well, all, you know it's, it's Final it's Fantasy. Now, <laughs> it's interesting because they had the whole mythic idea, which they added right. in Mythic Odysseys of Theros, and and they have in Fizzbands as yeah. well. And I wonder if they started to think through the the the, the phased boss approach. Yeah, uh, and it, I think they might have started with this well, one. The pro the problem is the that idea, it's it's not, a lot it. of work for the DM, with not a lot of reward at the place where it is in in the story and in in the game, and if and depending on how it ends up running, not a lot of reward for the for the PCs either. So it's it, it just it's it's sort of misplaced and the stats not that great. And anyway, so that's that. Um, the second thing is the way that that Velen Harpel, one of the main sort of NPCs that you deal with, and, and the Arcane Brotherhood, but really Velen Harpel for me, the way that she's introduced is just faulty. Um, and because uh, she sort of, if you do her as written, she just kind of shows up when they need her. She's she definitely feels like a, a Deus Ex Machina that is here to help you solve a problem that you have only right now, and. It's it makes you, it makes the PCs uh, if they accept her help then they rely on her. There's a much better way to form that into the game. I actually changed her entire the entire. I introduced her right very early on in the in the first or second session, and I made her an NPC that was predominant in the area for my party. And then through different actions and 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 favors or 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 different behaviors that she had, they could decide whether she was a villain or not, despite her name being villain. Um, and and that actually made for it felt like a more cohesive, better story. So I feel like they could have introduced her a lot better than just making her a hand of God. I'm going to rescue you by helping you out with this thing right here in the middle of the adventure. I think I, I think I told you how lucky I was that my 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 players actually sought somebody like that. They had a ghost that had mm. been traveling around with them. It was a ghost of a form of another arcane brother, another arcane uh. brotherhood member. And they said, go yeah. out and, and help get help. And then nice. he came riding back with her and yeah, it was yeah. just perfect. Like, and nice. I, I, I had no idea how I was going to do it. And then my right. wife did that. I'm like, Oh, thank you. Like you <laughs> gave me a, a great entrance. The, the yeah. thing is she had no good place after that. And they completely forgot about her once yeah. they were in the caves of hunger. She never yeah. came back in the event. And, and see, she's with my party in the caves of hunger. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, um, 
so she's still there and and she helps them and everything and so we're gonna see what happens uh later on yeah i didn't i didn't want to tag along npc yeah. so i didn't so sonar is also with them sonar is the pump he that's uh, the pumpkin spice mummy that's in the lonelywood <laughs> area and i made him an ancient netherese wizard who had died who they then made the guardian of that and he has all kinds of knowledge so when the party got back from oral's house i had him show up with an old netherese skiff that was sort of uh skiffing along the ice and snow to get to them to then take them to the glacier um so so i i just had a a thing mike when you get to the end of the witchlight carnival and that one character has the pumpkin that they have to treat very carefully like a baby Mm-hmm. Uh, when they take it from a make sure that that pumpkin then is placed into the the dried husk of a mummy, right? And then yeah, that, 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 like that, that later yeah. on goes on to become the pumpkin. Because I've got mummies. Because yeah. I've got yes. my dreadful incursions. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that works. Yeah, see, perfect way to <laughs> attach those. Perfect. So, yes. So so that so you know that whole thing with the with the mummy and and the lonely wood thing and all that that's all great. But the thing is that the book didn't make any of those connections. I had to make those connections, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so right. the way that Velen's introduced and the way that several of the NPCs are introduced, um, a lot of them it's forgivable because they're just sort of in a t- in one of the towns. And so, of course, they're not going to be introduced earlier than when the party gets to that town. But for her, she's such an integral part of what's happening and and the and the Yithrin ending of the thing that she needs to be introduced earlier and and in a better way. Um, so next, the other thing that annoyed me was the speed of the dogs and and the speed of travel through Tin Towns completely off. I had to completely rework it before I even started the game. Um, and so I, I actually posted that up on my website a long time ago because I changed how they work and and how how fast the dogs can go, how fast the axe beat can go, what kind of travel changes there are and, and stuff like that. So that it's really flawed in as written. Um and which leads me to the next one, which is that the environment, the environment is supposed to be this harsh, horrible, negative 45 degree on average, you know, blizzard all the time, always windy, really tough. But, you know, just roll a DC 10 con check and you're fine like that. Getting rid of that aspect of it where it's supposed to be thematic and the environment is supposed to be, you know, part of this adventure is meant to be, you know, uh man or humanoid, whatever, man versus environment, right? Like the environment is one of the sort of antagonists in Mm -hmm. this, at least in the early game, because you're low level. Once you get to higher level, I'm fine not making them deal with like a bad environment, right? Because they're higher level. But at first, second, third, even fourth level, they should be having a much harder time than rolling a DC 10 con check, you know, con save to, to get, to get rid of any effect whatsoever of the weather, right? So if it's really that bad. So that that kind of irked me as a sort of old school player. That environment should really play a part in what they're doing and how they're able to accomplish things. And it just isn't, not the way it's written. For a few gold pieces, you can buy cold weather clothing and suddenly, ta-da, none of this matters. Well, then why didn't we set it on freaking Hawaii, right? Where it's nice <laughs> and sunny all the time. And, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it just, it doesn't make a difference to any any mechanical item and it's okay to to have things in an adventure that don't have a mechanical aspect that's totally fine with me i got it that's totally fine with me but um but the thing is that if you put a mechanical aspect onto it 
don't make it so easy that it literally gets rid of that element of the game. Yeah, why bother? Right, why bother? Just yeah. leave it as thematic. And, yeah, and, and that's what I ended up doing. Right? Yeah. I just described it. Right, give the advice of make sure you're always mentioning it and you're always making it so that the PCs know that they can't see more than 20 feet because there's a blizzard and they can't they can't hear because the wind is howling and they, like do those things, but don't put a mechanical effect on it and then have it be a one roll and done. Thing. One, of, one of the things they they asked a lot for in the play testing of that was uh, play testing the environmental, the survivability, mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I don't think anything changed between playtesting and publication. Yeah. And a lot, I mean, a lot of it's based on what's in the DMG. And yeah. So whatever. Sure. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't find it interesting at any point in time. So yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's not. So, uh, so next grievance, uh, um, the the way that the Duergar and the Netherese are integrated into the whole story makes it so that, and this kind of leads into my next one, which is adding Asmodeus to the adventure, which is dumb. Um, but putting the Duergar on the Netherese, <laughs> they they talk a big game about you know how the um, the Arcane Brotherhood and Yithrin is so important, so important. But then they don't really do anything with those at all. Right. It's just sort of there. And 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 that's fine if you want it as the backdrop. But Yithrin is the freaking yeah. ultimate end of the campaign. Those arcane brotherhoods should be swarming this place if they if they really or, or their their presence should start to be noticed and they should start to have effects on what's happening mid game. They should do that. It shouldn't be at the end when, oh, we realize, oh, we got to find Nas Lantamir and now we're going to go open this glacier like that shouldn't be the first time they really hear about the Arcane Brotherhood. And this goes back to that Velen thing. It doesn't really matter that she's an Arcane Brotherhood person. It, it really makes no difference whatsoever because that doesn't affect how they've introduced her at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it has nothing to do with her, whether she helps them or not in that particular scene. Um, so the so the Dwergar, same with the Dwergar, right? They just sort of, oh, suddenly there's a Dwergar threat and a big giant dragon. Okay, well, let's seed in. Now, to the, to be fair, they did put a bunch of stuff in East Haven about the fairy and the and the Dwergar there and the Shardolin that's there and all that. And there is some stuff in one of the other towns. So if the PCs end up going to those towns and doing those tasks those quests, then they'll, they will actually stumble across that Dwergar stuff. I made sure though, that there were hints about the Dwergar everywhere that my party went after the first couple of sessions, because they needed to know that this was a much bigger threat than just, Oh, now we're suddenly fighting some Dwergar in the snow like that. Right. So it needs to be integrated more uh, into the game and they don't help with that very much. Um, and then once the Shardolin thing is over, and or or they've or they've gone to the stronghold and and defeated um, Zardarok, then the, suddenly the suddenly that that threat is gone. There's nothing else about it ever again. But yet Asmodeus was su- supposedly the one that was behind all of that. Like that, yeah. Anyway, so which brings me to the Asmodeus and Levistus thing being in there. Suddenly there's a cult of Levistus. There's a cult of Asmodeus. Where's the cult of Oral? She's the queen of this area. Where is it? Where is it? I had to write my own product. Well, <laughs> I, I can tell you where because they had cults of of infernal creatures and Oral right. is a goddess. So she wouldn't have a cult. She'd have a temple, but you don't have that. OK, either, but, so. <laughs> but but we would categorize 
her followers that were doing evil acts as a cult. Sure. Right. And Ed Greenwood um, would as well. That's why he has so many right. gods in the realms. That's right. And so, so my point is they've got Asmodeus and some followers. They've got Levistus and followers. They've got Oral. No followers. Nope. Well, I mean, while the Ten Towns people are sacrificing people right. because they're trying to appease her, but they're not actually – it doesn't talk about how there's followers of her. Uh, All the followers one, of her they mentioned. Sefet Kalto's a, right. a follower. <laughs> right. No, he's chosen. He's not a follower. Oh. He's yeah. chosen. Right. And and there's there are a couple people in there that suppose that they are mentioned sort of in the Ten Towns as, oh, this person, they they're a follower of Oral. Right. But it's not a made a big deal. And that person's those NPCs, those couple of NPCs aren't they don't have a big play in any part of of the adventure. Right. And at they're all. definitely not connected much to each other. They're not connected to each other, not connected to anything. So so that's that's my big thing. Um that's probably the worst thing because I had to write a product for it. When I had to write a product Listen, for it, I'm asking w- myself Mike's question, which is why did I pay why for Why am I bucks? paying all this money? The, uh, although product. it begs the question, you had to write a product for it, which you know you make money on. So ultimately that was a good choice of theirs. Yes. So that product, <laughs> that product happens to be an Electrum bestseller. Okay. Uh-huh. But guess what? Wizards of the Coast made as much money off of it as I have. Oh, sure. Right? Or well, that, I mean, we gave part to to uh, you know to one bookshelf for the DTRPG uh, service, but I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm just saying, right? Again, I, I'm not usually one that says, "Hey, I spent fifty bucks on this. Why am I having to do all this work?" But I <laughs> when you're making your own product, freaking yeah. product, right? Like, there's 25 pages to spare in this book. You could take some stuff out. And put 25 pages of cult stuff. That could have been the supplemental. Here's a new rule set for you in this book, which is which is available in a lot of other books, right? Of supplements, right? Ghost of Salt Marsh had the whole supplement about ships the in the ships sea, and-, and and Asmodeus had like devil devilish contracts and vehicles, and you know they could have put something other than the couple of pages they spent on environment in Rime of the Frostmate, and it could have been about how to make a cult out of a place where it's a goddess and so it's a temple and there's a priesthood and then there's the cultish members, right? Because that's one of the things I address in my product is there's a priesthood for sure because that is a recognized church in the Forgotten Realms, the Church of Oral. And then there's a cult aspect where they are actually doing evil acts. Anyway, I'm going off. The last thing, so that's six six grievances. The last grievance is um, that the end game advice is very poor. The end game advice is very poor. I, I don't like the way that you get, you get to Ith, to Yithrin and Yithrin happens and then it's okay. So total spoilers here. So if you're playing in this, turn it off for a second. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're, you get to Yithrin, you get to the end game and your choice is, you can activate this obelisk and go back 2000 years or not. Give me some advice. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, about, the, right. Like, tell me about what that means. Other, I mean, they, to be fair, they give a one page thing and it talks about what was going on in the world at that time and what you could do if they end up choosing to activate it and end up in Yithrin 2000 years ago. Like it's fine. But it's not great. Honestly, if this adventure doesn't end, 
if the like the climactic conclusion of the adventure isn't the the ultimate defeat of Oral, then the whole adventure was dumb to begin with because that's been the whole point from day from from page one. Right. And well, then and then in theory you get to the end and it's like oh and then you just fight this this demilich that had nothing to do with any of that and that's sort right. of the the big climactic yeah, I, conclusion. Right. I don't think right. the intent was that. Like I think that. You know, Sam Sam often talks about how Frost Maiden is really sort of almost a West Marches style. Players can mm-hmm. go wherever they want and choose whatever mm-hmm. path that they want. I don't I think Oral is a, a secondary issue. I don't think that's the driver, right? I don't well, I don't But the think... driver's definitely not this demi lich in the obelisk. No, but like the driver's also not the <laughs> door car, the but, driver's also not, you know, right, the sure, knolls the, the knolls and the, the Kraken right. chasm. There's lots of stuff that's not a driver. You're right. right. I agree. It's just that's another, why I haven't it's run just it. another place. <laughs> that's why I haven't used it. Right, but Jeff, that's why I say like the, the thing they didn't do was bring the Netherese right. into the story and make it integrated. Yes. it's a it's a side quest. Yeah, Yithrin is a great location, and I really loved using it in my campaign for a completely non Rhyme with Frostbane right. story. Like I, re- it worked really well for me. Um, right. but that's because I so, wasn't trying to tell their story. Yeah, yeah. Well, so here's the thing, though. So I, but because I read the whole thing before I started running it, I knew I had to make these changes. So I made it so that, uh, you know, my players in part of one of their backstories, one of them has a backstory that deals with uh, a, a premonition and a guardian because she's a, a celestial ASMR. Uh, her guardian said something about, you know, something dangerous occurring. And the prophecy was such that when they get up there, she might assume it's oral. That's the problem. But then she gets more information, realizes, oh, no, that's not what the the this guardian was talking about. The guardian was actually talking about yithrin as the danger and so so that i could sort of weave that into the entire game right but only because i read the whole thing and i and i could figure out okay how am i going to attach these things together but the book didn't do that for me at all the book didn't do it to me for me at all i agree so which you know and uh, again this is where i'm kind of calling these grievances because i'm 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 kind of making fun of mike because he had his big list of grievances the thing is (laughs) i still really like this adventure and Uh I really I, the type of prep I did for this isn't any different from the type of prep I do for anything. So for me, it was just oh, it's a different thing. There are uh, some of these things irk me more than others. Obviously, the no cult of oral thing irked me so much that I sat and wrote a product. Uh, but the environment thing that irks the hell out of me. That bugs me, and I've not heard really anybody mention that part of it. And that's maybe my biggest <laughs> about this you, thing. You, you forgot is, to mention the trials. Oh yeah, because I just complete. I've wiped those from my mind because they're so stupid. They're so bad. They're not yeah. even on the list. Yeah, they're one of the things that I that I agree <laughs> with you about. They're just, they're just so horrible that I just didn't even you know. And the thing is that though, that's an opportunity to work that into what you're doing. Like what I did with my party was directly connected to their backgrounds, what they saw when they went into the the four rooms where they would have had the trials instead. I got rid of those trials and I you know I did other things and it worked really well for my group because I tailored it to. The PCs, but the thing is, and here's what I always say about all these big old 300-page hardback adventures: what they really need to do is put some advice about how to make this your own and how to make this so that it matches the choices that your PCs made in character generation. They still don't do that. They're not giving any advice on how to make this thing really work for you. They're just saying, "Here it is. Here's our product," and mm-hmm. ta-da. 
and now we're moving on to the next one that we're doing and now we're going to start marketing the next one and and there's really no they they really are relying on and I don't know if this is actually their intention or not but they're really relying on you know uh, the DMs guild to sort of fill in any gaps that people complain about right because they're not really addressing any complaints that anyone makes, whether they're valid or not, right? Like I've heard some very valid complaints about just about every adventure, and they never, ever address those. Even if some of those were sort of the experimental parts of those adventures, they never address those. Like Jeff said, what was the point of the experiment if you're never actually going to address it and learn from it? And, you know, they're just counting on people like adding stuff from the DMs Guild, which is fine, I guess. I mean, it's just what it is, but I don't know. So my last thing I want to say is not about Rhyme of the Frostman. Oh, I do. There's two more things. One of them is about Rhyme of the Frostman because the vampire Noel is bad. Oh, no, he is not. He is. He's not even legendary. You can be taken out with one spell. No, 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 no. Not if your party's seventh level and are scared to death of him. Because what I did was one of one of my one of my PCs has the the runaway author background, and uh. Uh, just recently, right, right, a couple of sessions before they went into the Caves of Hunger, one of the people in Tin Towns told him, uh, the, the the PC, look, you're gonna there. There are some assassins that are looking for you because th- the PC wrote bad things about the Castellanters. Okay, the Castellanters have dispatched assassins to come and get you, so you need to be watching your back. And so, so, so now they're all freaked out. Oh no, there's assassins. There's assassins. But they're like, oh, but we're going to this glacier. No problem. There's not going to be an assassin in there. And then, yeah, I know, Mike. I know, but that's. But I'm much harder on my PCs, so they weren't eighth <laughs> level when they got there. Okay, they weren't eighth level. Because, and now, and now Sam is responding to things that I'm, that Mike I'm, is putting so in the he, chat. So <laughs> technically speaking, the way the adventure is written, it says you should be eighth level before you go into the caves of hunger. But I'm a DM. They hadn't hit eighth level yet. I'm sorry. They went in anyway. I'm sorry. That's just how. So it yeah, is. he's don't badass. Play. If you don't play the adventure the way the adventure is intended to be played. Well, <laughs> they met him, but they didn't they didn't really fight him. And, and now they're eighth level and they're going to meet him again. So so here's the thing. Right. So I because I foreshadowed that and then they get there and I played him as an intelligent hunter. So he was tracking them. And then when he shows up, he shows up in his humanoid form and he has an English accent. He speaks very proper and he basically just kind of. Uh, they noticed there's some weird movement and he, cause he was misted and invisible. And then he sort of coalesced. And then he basically was like, Oh, so, you know, which one of you is, is the author. Mm-hmm. And they all went, Holy crap. We know this must be the assassin. <laughs> right. And so it was a cool scene. And then they kind of beat on him a couple of times and then, and then he beat on them. He did a bunch of damage and then he, he missed it out. Right. Um, and so like, that's the sort of thing, though, that I've had to do to make this adventure make sense and be fun, right? Like that, but that's again, that's not really an indictment of the adventure because that's what I do with every adventure. Okay. Yeah, and and, and in fairness, the idea of Tech Lily is awesome. Yeah. And when I ran him for both my groups, he was bad, but I used yeah. the vampire stat block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that he was actually yeah. badass. Yeah. No, I I pumped up his his stats and whatnot because I wanted him yeah. to be an intelligent assassin with a good right. charisma and be able to like talk. Yeah. He doesn't have any charisma based powers, but I wanted him to be able to you know talk, speak well, and and sort of freak them out because he's like the gentleman assassin. You're not going to know he's there until he's right there in your face. Yeah, you know? he was he was really fun, and I had foreshadowed him yeah. very early. So yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. months they had been hearing about Tech Lee. Yeah. He had a caller. 
mm-hmm. who was really great. This this yeah. pain in the uh, kobold vampire named Ren, not Renfield, because that's the actual <laughs> Rend Hollow. And yeah. Rend Hollow was like, oh, was, yeah, he was great. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great part of the adventure. This adventure has so many little things in it that are really really great if you integrate them in and you make them part of the PC's backstory and you make them important to what's going on. It can be really 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 fun. But I can totally understand why somebody like Mike would just would not dig this adventure. It's not it's not a good thematic match for him and it's not uh put together well enough to make it work for him and it has problems with some of the stats and, and <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna cut off sport, your sentence that you know? it's not built well it's 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 not built yeah, well i, I agree that the, the thing that's not on my list is the other thing i've been thinking about since the beginning and that is the flow chart right the, there, <laughs> the one there's, that's the, one-dimensional it doesn't yeah, work anyway <laughs> yeah the reason why that's not a good flow chart is because it doesn't really give you any kind of depiction of how you could possibly run this adventure it just says do chapter one then do chapter two then do chapter three then right do but chapter four or five and, and then it turns out you don't do them that way yeah, and you, oh, don't, right. you don't do them that way. And so, so it, they haven't had it. They haven't had a good flowchart since Storm King's Thunder, and it made it made sense there. And and they're like, and they got all this praise for it, and so they keep doing it. But like a str- a straight line is not a flowchart. Right. Stop it. Right. Well, it's a flowchart. Is just, I mean, it's it's not one with any interest. You, it, it's not one you need because it's just a straight line, right? So I and the thing is that they could have done much better. They could have done a relationship map. They could have uh, they could have taken the the great page that they have with the list of NPCs where they give pronunciations and that flowchart page. Those two pages could have been much better used if they gave the NPC information and then gave what the relationships are. Who do they know? What town are they in? How do you pronounce their name? And which part of the story are they important to? Are they important to ten towns? Are they important to the Dwergar? Are they important to the as at the um the the Levista stuff, or are they important to Oral or or to Yithrin? Like those are the five sort of disparate things going on in Ten Towns, and they don't connect those very well. So if they spent those two pages doing that, it would be, it would it would look much better built, right? It would look much better built. The last thing I want to say has nothing to do with Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. It's that I decided that my big campaign this year is going to be a Traveler campaign because it's been a while since I've played Traveler, and so I'm I'm going to run. Uh, this long campaign called Deep Night Revelation, which is basically this uh, sort of spacefaring. You go out and you're really, uh, it's almost Star Trek-like in that you are uh, examining this part of the universe that has not been charted yet. So you're sort of going to, you're going on this 10-year-long mission to chart uncharted things and find out uh, some information about about what's going on. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, So that's what I'll be reporting on next time. Somehow, uh, and I look forward to hearing about that because I might actually – I picked up uh, the Expanse RPG mm-hmm. uh, on the Humble Bundle uh, with all of the modern age uh, stuff because I like the age system and it was mm-hmm. cheap to get all of that at once. And one of my players is a big Expanse fan. So yeah. anyway, I look forward to hearing about that and I might steal some ideas from you. Uh, but I uh, – what I was going to say is somehow we have managed to put together an episode that is over an hour and 15 minutes long. And I will point out <laughs> – I stuck to my time, so that means the two of you each spoke for half an hour. <laughs> so. 
I, I, think, I, I, dis, I disagree that you kept to your time. Well, no, I went a little bit over, but not ah, much. Ah, <laughs> not ah, much. Yeah. Not I only mentioned getting involved in our conversation. Uh-huh. I, yeah. I, I only played one session, so I didn't have much to talk about. So, uh, so that means next time after I've played a few sessions, uh, I get extra time and you all have to, to listen to me talk. There. <laughs> sure. Whatever. <laughs> Exactly. That's that's pretty much the the organization for the the show, right? Yeah, whatever. Yep. We'll see what happens. Uh, so anyway, unless anybody's really desperate to say something else at an hour and eighteen minutes in, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the episode. Okay, we're good. So so we're going to call that the end of this episode of Behind the DM Screen. Uh, thank you everybody for joining us, and uh, thank you. Uh, Mike and, and Sam for hanging out with me tonight. So thank say you. goodbye. Yep. Say goodbye, guys. It's a pleasure. Goodbye, guys. Bye.